You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with this week's weekly update on social media from Judicial Watch, your anti-corruption watchdog here in Washington, D.C. A lot of corruption to be exposed this week. Uh, the news is breaking fast and furious here, and I'll try to give you an update on what's breaking, plus uh, key stories you ought to be following generally. Uh, we've got the Kavanaugh uh, circus uh, created by leftist attempts to destroy his uh, candidacy or his, his, uh, his uh, nomination for the Supreme Court. Uh, we have breaking news about President Trump's heroic and courageous efforts to try to declassify materials about the deep state corruption targeting him and ruining uh, the various federal government law enforcement intelligence agencies here in Washington, D.C., uh, plus an astonishing story that's coming out just as I speak from the New York Times detailing Justice Department and FBI attempts to overthrow President Trump directly uh, through an invocation of the 25th Amendment. Incredible material. And, of course, Judicial Watch is always in court uh, working on behalf of you, the American people. We have a big lawsuit on Bruce Orr, who is tied to Fusion GPS, and so we were in court, uh, I think it was last week, and I'll tell you some interesting news about that court hearing as well. Uh, but first up, I want to talk about the Kavanaugh case. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week in the weekly update, but we didn't have much information otherwise, other than an anonymous accusation of some type of misconduct uh, by Mr. Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh, when he was a, uh, a teenager. And uh, the woman had come forward now since then, uh, Dr. Ford, who alleged that Kavanaugh essentially tried to sexually assault her at a house party at some unspecified time, at some unspecified location, an unspecified date, uh, 35-plus years ago when she was 15. I think he was either 16 or 17. Now, Mr. Kavanaugh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, has denied this vociferously. He says he didn't do it, and he wants to clear his name. Uh, Now, the problem here is that the accusation, uh, in my view, does not warrant a public hearing or further disruption of the confirmation process. It's way too late to be adjudicated fairly one way or another. It was presented anonymously uh, to uh, Dianne Feinstein, the leading Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, back in July. Now, either Feinstein was committing misconduct by waiting to release the material until after the hearings were closed, or, as I suspect more likely, she looked at the underlying complaint, found it wanting, and didn't act on it. Either way, it looks terrible. So what is happening now is that the left is taking this woman's cause up, and by all accounts, uh, she's a left-wing activist as well. doesn't mean she's not telling the truth about what happened to her, uh, but uh, she's certainly linked up with hardcore left-wing activist lawyers and, and uh, other folks advising her to uh, disrupt the hearings in a way, as in many ways, to keep them from happening at all. And I think the goal here is to push the hearings for political purposes till after the elections, Uh, as uh, to provide more leverage potentially in getting uh, the nomination to be shut down. Uh, The Democrats are uh, keen to do this. We've seen their willingness to thwart the rule of law, thwart the rules, and disrupt the nomination process in the hearings that already took place. I attended the hearing of Justice Kavanaugh for a period of time, uh, and I can tell you it was terrible. It was a circus. Uh, 
the television cameras mitigate and disperse the, the outrageousness in many ways that you see when you're there in person. And when you're there in person, you see people screaming in a room, having to be forcibly removed by the police. So you've got this violent law-breaking taking place as this confirmation process for Supreme Court nominee is supposed to be going on. And then on top of that, you have individuals like Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, who is grandstanding and saying, I'm going to break the rules in releasing confidential information to try to make Judge Kavanaugh look bad and uh, make myself look good. So you've got rule-breaking by senators, lawlessness by their leftist allies, and now we're supposed to take their concerns seriously about the process with this late-breaking allegation that, as I said, is non-judiciable in the sense that, let's say that she says, I believe this is what happened to me. I believe it was Judge Kavanaugh who did it at the time. And Judge Kavanaugh says, no, it wasn't me. I don't know what happened to her, but it wasn't me. Where does that get you? And of course, all of that could have been done in private if, and still can be done in private. And the fact that we're refusing to let it be done in private, or at least the left is, shows you what they plan. They want a circus of a hearing. We saw what happened at the regular hearings. Can you imagine the show trial of a hearing that will take place if this is allowed to continue as it is? The lawyers for this uh, Kavanaugh accuser is de- are demanding, for instance, that Judge Kavanaugh testify before she testifies, and all sorts of other rules that no other witness in the history of man would be allowed to dictate to either House of Congress if there were Congress needed their testimony. It would be a Soviet-style hearing if the left gets its way. They're asking Judge Kavanaugh to come and testify to charges that haven't been made yet. Allegations are out there in the media. Reporters have said, well, she told us this. That's a far cry from having allegations that you can respond to. And as I said earlier, no date, no time, no place. Key details left out. She told no one of the activity uh, or the alleged assault at the time it happened. She waited dozens of years to even tell supposedly someone else about it. And it leaves a lot of questions as to whether it's accurate or not. And in the ordinary course, it would have been handled as a result of, uh, through a a private process that would have protected the accuser, Judge Kavanaugh, and any other witnesses that needed to be talked to. But anything to destroy the rule of law, anything to blow up the confirmation process, this is what the left plans. Now, the Republican leaders have got a problem because you've got some Republicans who are going to want to hear more from this accuser, which is a, I, I think she should be able to talk to the Senate, but we don't need a circus in order to get her testimony. In fact, I would recommend they send the FBI out to her place yesterday and interview her. Have the FBI interview Kavanaugh. Give the information to the Senate to consider. We don't need a circus like a public hearing that is not designed to get at the truth. It's designed to disrupt the process. 
So right now we have the Kavanaugh accuser trying to run the Senate with the help of her allies on the left, on the Democratic side of the aisle. Now, if you think this is about justice, if you think this is about getting vindication for a woman who's been assaulted, then frankly, you're naive about what's going on here. This has nothing to do with that. Because if it did, it would have been handled the regular way, as I suggested. It's being handled as a political hit job on Judge Kavanaugh. Senate Republicans should offer opportunities to testify in private, but the hearings should go forward in the sense that you should get your conference committee vote and then have the full Senate vote. There's no way to run a railroad. And, you know, Judicial Watch, because uh, Senator Booker would made a big deal about breaking the rules of the Senate by releasing confidential information and undermining the rule of law. He, he did it at the hearing. In fact, he wasn't actually breaking the rules of the Senate. That's how incompetent he and his staff were. But just to be sure, he released material later that was in violation of the rules and extolled himself and elevated himself for breaking the rules. And what's going to happen? Is it going to be mob rule or the rule of law? Is it going to be a Senate process that reflects a Republican form of government government or Senate process that reflects uh, anything goes and pure power politics. So this is a big test for the Senate. And already there's race baiting. There's this anti-male insanity you're hearing from the big media and their leftist allies. I was watching TV earlier, and there was a commentator talking about how Republicans have a problem because there are white males on the committee. What does that mean? It's racially inflammatory. I mean, if you, if you substituted any other sex or race for that term, that person would have been bounced off the network for saying something so outrageously. racially tinged and biased. So are we going to allow the left-wing lunacy on this key cultural issue to affect the Senate confirmation process in a way that is designed to destroy the reputation of a man who may not deserve it? By all accounts, he doesn't deserve it and make it impossible or extremely difficult to get good people confirmed in the future. It's a terrible situation. This is what I suggest you do. Call your senators, let them know what you think. Now, I think Republicans are trying to thread a tricky needle here. I, you know, I think they should be more aggressive, but this is a difference of tactics. I'm not saying they're, you know, they want to get him confirmed, it's clear. And there are senators who are asking a few more questions, which isn't, which isn't the end of the world. But you should call your senators and let them know what you think it needs to be done. Applaud them for uh, doing the right thing. Encouraging, encourage them to try to move it along. And say you want the rule of law. You want to be able to know that the Senate works at least once a year on, the, on issues like this that are important to the nation. The President of the United States made a nomination to a separate branch of government, the Supreme Court, 
and the Senate has a constitutional role to advise and consent. And if the role of the Senate in advising and consent on confirmations denigrates into a show trial circus, it's like the left plans. You know, I don't know what the future holds for this great nation. So I think the issues are big. Uh, Judicial Watch is trying to stand fast for the rule of law. But as I say, your votes count here. And you should let your senators know what you think about this. You can call your Senate, your senators at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. Ask for your senator. I hope you know who they are. Or you can write them and email them. It's all available on the Internet at senate.gov, senate.gov. So um, go from one crisis to another. So I'm going to lurch from the crisis on the Hill to the crisis in the executive branch because there's an astonishing story in the New York Times today which just came out a few minutes before this video. Rod Rosenstein. Is it Rosenstein or Rosenstein? I always get confused. Rod Rosenstein suggested he secretly record Trump and discuss the 25th Amendment. Now go ahead and look up the 25th Amendment. 25th Amendment is the amendment that allows essentially the cabinet to get together and remove the president if they think he's not fit for office. Rod Rosenstein is the number two Justice Department official. He's confirmed by the Senate and an appointee of the president. And he, as a result of Jeff Sessions' recusal, appointed and was responsible for, uh, appointed Mueller and is responsible for, to the degree uh, he's, even bo- he's bothering to do so, overseeing the Mueller special counsel operation. Now, according to this New York Times story, uh, Mueller had suggested that he record the president. He also, uh, now Rosenstein's response to the New York Times is, I was only joking, but others who were in the meeting said he wasn't joking and suggested also that other FBI, There's the train going by. Rosenstein not only confirmed that he was serious about the idea, but also followed up by suggesting that other FBI officials who were interviewing to be the Bureau's director could also secretly record Mr. Trump. So you had the number two justice. Now, this is the New York Times. I'm assuming it's accurate. Justice Department said the New York Times story is inaccurate and factually incorrect. Based on my personal dealings with the president, there is no basis to invoke the 25th Amendment. Now, the story also recounts he talked about invoking the 25th Amendment with Andrew McCabe, the disgraced number two FBI official who was acting FBI official after Comey was fired. Comey, uh, uh, McCabe has since been fired for allegedly misleading FBI investigators about leaks related to the Clinton email scandal. I, I don't know how anyone tracks all of this. I mean, I, ha, I have a hard time tracking it. I can't imagine what the average American voter thinks of this mess here in D.C. So what does this show? This sounds accurate to me, so I'm just going to riff on the fact that this is largely accurate. Rod Rosenstein and Andrew McCabe According to the story, Rosenstein was thinking about asking then-DHS Secretary Kelly, who is now the chief of staff to the president, and Sessions whether they'd be interested in invoking the 25th Amendment. He's also thinking about recording the president. This is after Mr. Comey, or around the same time, Mr. Comey's caught leaking, stealing FBI records of President Trump, 
and writing these CYA memos about conversations he allegedly had with him, and then leaking it to the New York Times. Then you have the number two official in the Justice Department talking with the acting FBI director about potentially overthrowing the President of the United States through this constitutional process. This is a crisis. It shows you the Justice Department and the FBI think their laws unto themselves. And you want to wonder why there's an and you wonder why there's an out of control Mueller investigation who thinks he can harass the president on things that only a president can do, such as fire people, conduct foreign affairs. This Justice Department thinks it's a law unto itself. Rod Rosenstein thinks that he runs the show. He's talking about this with Andrew McCabe, and these are documents supposedly that document this material. What a nightmare. I don't know. You know, the president could fire Rod Rosenstein tomorrow. He could fire Jeff Sessions tomorrow for allowing someone like this to run around the Justice Department. Where's that going to get him? The left is going to call for his impeachment. The Justice Department's going to investigate him again for doing his job in removing officials from office that he doesn't have confidence in like he did with Mr. Comey. And Rosenstein's angry in this story, or was, because he didn't like the consequences of Comey being fired. Of course, he was involved in Comey being fired because he recommended the president fire him and endorsed the idea. And yet he hired a special counsel to investigate the firing that he's a witness to and it was behind. I said it once and I'll say it again. The Mueller special counsel operation needs to be shut down. I don't care how many foreign lobbyists they indict, how many folks they put away for tax fraud or for non-serious crimes that don't deserve a special counsel investigation. But this Manafort investigation is based on corruption. It's based, it comes out of an effort by Justice Department and FBI officials to remove the president. So are we going to allow the coup to continue, or are we going to get it under control? So the president has his own prerogatives here that he can take to try to fix the situation. When is Congress going to get a handle on this? Now, Judicial Watch has FOIAs, and we'll, you bet you we have lawsuits and other additional FOIAs as a result of this piece to figure out what really went on here. This is pretty serious, and I encourage you to review it. And it makes you, and it makes you, and and, and it, it puts this deep state thing in context. It's, you know, the left would like you to believe it's a big conspiracy, despite an op-ed extolling the deep state anonymously. Did you see the Project Veritas videos this week? I hope you did. Our friend James O'Keefe has some tremendous videos showing misconduct and seditious activity uh, by officials in the Justice Department, the State Department, and the Government Accountability Office. And it shows you that these officials, because they don't like Trump and have values different than the majority of voters who put Trump into office, think they can break the law and break the rules to get him. The DOJ official, whose name I forget, um, 
it looks like she may have misused government resources to investigate people that she wanted to protest. Now, recall this same person was behind the protest. Uh, you remember uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security Nielsen was, conf- quote, confronted in a restaurant by a lawless mob, and she was forced to leave? Well, this DOJ paralegal, who James later got on tape admitting to other potential misconduct, was behind it. Now, Judicial Watch is already on this, as always, because we asked for this person's emails, and we're suing in court for them. So we've got the deep state going on at the, at the low level, where at the operational level, where you have just your regular, everyday government employees who, by and large, and the left and the media will never tell you this because they don't want to report the truth to you about the way Washington really works. The federal agencies largely are populated by liberal Democrats. Now, you can be a liberal and you can be a Democrat and you can work for the federal government. There's nothing in theory wrong with that. The problem is they don't check their politics at the door and they insert politics into decision-making that needs to be neutral and done in accordance with the law. And then you've got the high-level corruption, the Peter Strzok, who is a a top official at the FBI, the Andrew McCabe's, the James Comey's, the Loretta Lynch's, the Rod Rosenstein's, who divert their offices for political purposes. Peter Strzok didn't like President Trump. So he was going to abuse his powers as an FBI senior official to launch investigations and spying into him. Rod Rosenstein didn't like the political blowback. So he was going to go and try to record the president. Or, quote, joked about it, and then joked about others uh, recording the president. He's a number two official at the Justice Department. He's joking about violating, in a fundamental sense, the trust the Justice Department is supposed to have for the President of the United States. Ask, ask, you know, everyone's running for office now. Ask folks when they come to town asking for your vote, what do they think of all this and what are they doing about it? And why aren't they following Judicial Watch's lead? The president generally knows what's going on here. He seems the only politician in town willing to talk about it directly. And to that end, he did something great, which was a uh, release of information, or at least he ordered the release of information. Now it's been changed a little bit, but this is the statement that uh, he issued through the White House. At the request of a number of committees of Congress, he didn't say this, but also from Judicial Watch and all of you who are calling the White House, and for reasons of transparency, the President has directed the Office of Director of National Intelligence and the Department of Justice, including the FBI. The FBI isn't an independent agency, by the way. It's an agency that, it's an arm of the Justice Department. To provide for the immediate declassification of the following materials, pages 10 through 12 and 17 through 34, of the June, 17, uh, June 2017 application to the FISA court in the matter Carter page, all FBI reports of interviews with Bruce Orr prepared in connection with the Russia investigation, and all FBI reports of interviews prepared in connection with all Carter Page FISA applications. 
In addition, President Donald J. Trump has directed the Department of Justice, including the FBI, to publicly release all text messages relating to the Russia investigation without redaction of James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr. I tell you, this, that was a heroic move by the president. It was courageous by the president to do that. Because you can bet all the deep staters, all the president's men were telling him not to do it. Of course, folks like Judicial Watch were out there publicly advocating for this. You had members of Congress advocating for this. But all of his agencies were saying no. And why is this all important? Now, the FISA warrants. We had received the FISA warrants here. I brought them, I keep them in my office. Shows you just, uh, just what type of FOIA, uh, that I'm just basically a FOIA nerd at heart. I keep documents like this in my office. But these are important documents. This is the FISA warrant uh, and uh, subsequent renewals targeting Dr. Carter Page. Now, we had received these documents as a result of an earlier personal intervention by the President of the United States in declassifying material related to this. Because the government was taking the position, they can't even say whether these warrants existed or not. And the president said, are you kidding me? So it resulted in the release to Judicial Watch and others of this FISA warrant material. And the FISA warrants show that the Clinton DNC dossier was used to justify spying on the Trump team. The warrants show that uh, the target not was, wasn't really Carter Page. It was all about getting Trump. It shows that they dishonestly told the court or suggested to the court that the key source, Christopher Steele, was good to go and legitimate when, in fact, he wasn't. We found through other documents. They cut him off and deemed him not suitable as a confidential human source. They never told the court that. And they cited the dossier, reports about the dossier, other versions of the dossier, to the court pretending that there were three distinct pieces of evidence warning the targeting of Page, when in fact it was the same evidence three different ways. As I call it, the self-licking ice cream cone. I go to you and say, I've got three pieces of evidence. I heard it from three witnesses. And you say, who are those witnesses? Me, myself, and I, three people. That was the garbage behind these dirty spy warrants targeting the President of the United States one of which was signed on by Rod Rosenstein. So the documents are heavily redacted. You may not be able to see them here, but he talked about pages um, 10 through 12 and 17 through 24. Now, this is what he's talking about. That's what a redacted page looks like. Now, those in Congress who have reviewed these documents know it has nothing to do with national security. Absolutely nothing to do with national security. So this is why it should be declassified, or at least these portion, the remaining portions that uh, the president highlights should be declassified. So the bad news is the president tweeted today that uh, he met with Justice Department officials. Let me see if I can get the Twitter up. And uh, they persuaded him to stall a release of the information. And I, I have a question. Was Rod Rosenstein one of those folks he met with? Huh? 
Could be, it could be good to know that, wouldn't it? Let me go here. Forgive me for the delay. I met with the DOJ concerning the declassification of various unredacted documents. They agreed to release them, but stated that doing so may have a perceived negative impact on the Russia probe. What, the, what, what does that mean? It sounds like a typical bureaucratic response. Also, key allies called to ask not to release, and by allies, I presume it means foreign countries. Therefore, the Inspector General, over at the Justice Department, has been asked to review these documents on an expedited basis. I believe he will move quickly on this and hopefully other things which he is looking at. In the end, I can always declassify if it proves necessary. Speed is very important to me and everyone. So he's allowing the IG to insert itself into whether to declassify certain of this material. Now, given the breadth of the declassification order, which I said was courageous and heroic, I think it's fair if the Justice Department comes back and says, look, you know, there's some material that you can declassify immediately. There's other material that, look, may have material that impacts our uh, ability to collect intelligence information in a significant way. And you need to rethink this, or we should look at it more carefully before it's released. And I think you can allow that to be done quickly. But I don't buy this ploy to delay release of everything upon approval of the IG. What if the IG says you shouldn't release it? A president's going to have to overrule it and cause another political conflagration? And as I said it once, and I'll say it before, the Justice Department and the FBI cannot be trusted to fairly evaluate whether or not to release this information. So if I were the president, I wouldn't have even met with them. And I just would have released it all. And if there was classified decisions, you have your lawyers at the White House look at it. Justice Department and FBI have long ceded any credibility or trust to be able to do this in a legitimate way. So we'll see what happens because, um, you know, when he said we're going to declassify this immediately, one of our guys, for instance, called up the Justice Department and said, when are we going to get, when are we going to get these FISA warrant materials? And the Justice Department told us, we'll get back to you on that. They should have given it to us the next day. It's not like this issue hasn't been under debate for months and months and months. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I take the president at his word. He wants this released quickly. And you do something like this, and then you get all your advisors come in, and they, and they read you the riot act, and they tell you that uh, it will be the end of the world if it's released, and, it, and it's hard to say no, at least to a, a request for more time to review the material. So uh, we want the material out. We're suing in court for it. The president, for instance, referenced the OR 302s. Judicial Watch separately has sued for those OR 302s. So this is what happened. Bruce Orr, whose wife worked at Fusion GPS, the Clinton DNC vendor, was working with Christopher Steele and laundering information from Steele, who was targeting Trump, into the FBI despite the FBI saying Steele wasn't supposed to be collecting intelligence because he was a leaker and deemed not suitable to use as a confidential human source. 
So they were breaking the rules six ways to Sunday. War had this conflict. The FBI was dishonestly using a source they knew was dirty. Again, to justify, remember, they're talking about removing the president through the 25th Amendment. When you're that crazed, all rules are subject to being ignored. So Judicial Watch sued for the 302s, because that was the way the FBI documented its discussions with Bruce Orr about Christopher Steele. So that's why it's important this information gets out. And we've also asked for other documents about Bruce Orr's communications with um, uh, Fusion GPS. Specifically, we want, uh, I'll get you the documents here. All records of contact or communication, including but not limited to emails, text messages, and instant chats between Bruce Orr and any of the following uh, individuals' entities. Uh, Christopher Steele, Glenn Simpson, who owned Fusion GPS, and other employees or representatives of Fusion GPS, meaning his wife. All travel requests, authorizations, and expense reports of Bruce Orr, that's important, and his calendar entries. So we sued for that material, and the Justice Department came back to us and said, we need six months to turn over those records. And I think the total number of records is 1,650 records, pages. And they said the calendars especially, they need until February to turn over. So we were in a court hearing last week about it. And uh, the judge in the case, you know, was uh, unfortunately not an atypical, did not have an atypical response to government requests for inordinate delays and responses. Because just remember, we've asked for these documents back in, when did we ask for these documents? December of last year. December of last year. So we've asked for the documents almost a year ago. Months and months later, the government says, oh, well, now that you've sued, we'll begin looking, and we need six more months to do uh, a, a thorough review of the documents. And the courts come in and say, well, that sounds reasonable. Well, the problem with that is that the courts give the benefit of the obstruction to the government. They should have given these records to us in January of last year under the law. But it's a government town, and the courts give this undue deference to lawlessness by the agencies and responding to requests for information. So that's the challenge that we face every day in court. And that's why I say when it means heavy lifting, I mean, we really got to work hard. Our attorneys have to work hard to overcome this obstruction. We get the documents eventually, or at least some of them, but it's not without frustration having to deal with, as I say, this lawless obstruction. Now, of course, if it's endorsed by the court, it ain't lawless anymore, but it's still lawless, I think, morally. The, uh, so the judge says, okay, well, you can get the emails and uh, the expense reports by December, but I'll give them the time they need till February. So the court essentially rules and then the judge, who used to be, I guess, over at the Justice Department, says, oh, by the way, I knew Bruce Orr. I may have worked with him. I may be in some of these calendars. I don't think I need to recuse myself, but if you want me to, I guess I will. Or I might consider it. I won't be offended if you ask. 
uh, because heck, I don't need to be on any more FOIA cases. Now, I don't think we're going to ask him to recuse himself. But as an American citizen, that's what we face. We have a judge who used to work at the Justice Department, who knows one of the figures involved about who we're suing, whose name, be there, who may, whose name may be in the documents we're suing about that the government really doesn't want to turn over to us in a timely way, and he's ruling on the case. But that, that's, that's the way Washington works. So we're going to get some of these documents... And this is what I love about this. So the president's got his order. Congress has got its complaints and is pushing for documents. But only Judicial Watch has its lawsuits. And these lawsuits don't move as quickly sometimes as we like. But we get the information in the end that we're entitled to under the law. We don't get all the information. We face obstruction. Who knows, maybe to destroy documents. We can't figure that out sometimes. But if it weren't for Judicial Watch, we wouldn't have these FISA warrants. Uh, There'd be no information about the Clinton emails. So I talked about the Benghazi, IRS, Fast and Furious, you name it. Judicial Watch is in court trying to get this information for you, the American people, and the information hopefully will educate you, policymakers, and change agency behavior and get in a a little bit of the accountability necessary. Certainly Hillary Clinton would have loved to shut down our FOIA lawsuits because of the impact it had on her. So that's, that's the crisis we're facing this week. And I know it's frustrating to see this Justice Department lawlessness trying to take out the president, the obstruction of our right to know, the, try, the attempted derailment of the Kavanaugh hearings, but you should know that you've got Judicial Watch at backing you up here in Washington, D.C., doing the work, trying to get the government to be held accountable. Because if it weren't for Judicial Watch, where would we be? Where would we be? And I say that as president of Judicial Watch, but I also say that as an American citizen. So we're happy to be able to do the work. It's outrageous that we're the only ones doing it often. But we do it because of you, because of the U.S. Constitution, because of our nation, because of the rule of law. And we only do it with your support. So I encourage you to support our work. And I encourage you also to let others know about what we're finding out. So to that end, thank you. And I'll see you next week here on our weekly update with Judicial Watch. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.